Our scripture reading, once again, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 through 20. And our message is civil laws fulfilled, the church shall prevail. This is God's word. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And that shall be with him, and, shall, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes in doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. So last week, today, and next week, uh, we're going over the laws in Deuteronomy, and we're going over the three different types of laws that we find and how they apply to us today. As God's people. We understand already through this series that the book of Deuteronomy is about grace and law, that God graciously gives himself to us, that God graciously saves us, that the law is given to us to remind us of that grace, to point us back to the love that he is continually pouring upon us. And this law also sets up a, 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 a community for the community to understand how to love God and how to love one another. Last week, we, we looked at the ceremonial law that God has put into place. And the purpose of the ceremonial law was to see that God is ultimately holy, that sacrifices needed to be made to a holy God who demands perfection that we saw in the ceremonial laws, lots of peculiarities in terms of what the sacrifice needs to look like, when to sacrifice, how to sacrifice. And in so doing, we as God's people see that the demand for perfection in God is beyond anything that we can ever hope to understand. And yet as God's people in the, in the time of Israel, the sacrifices that they made, they understood that there needed to be more. And we understand today, living as Christians, that that sacrifice that needed to be made was Christ himself. That Christ himself is the fulfillment of that. That he is not only the perfect sacrifice, but he's the perfect priest. He's not only the, the, the perfect lamb of God who died, but he was the, the perfect one to offer himself. And in so doing, the law has been fulfilled. The ceremonial law of holiness the ceremonial law of the cleansing of sin. 
And so the book of Deuteronomy, in terms of that, points to Jesus. And for us as God's people, we see and we understand that we live in the light of that. We are no longer under the, the guise of the ceremonial law. We do not need to make sacrifices in order for God to forgive us of our sins. We no longer need to figure out how to make sacrifices, whether they're real sacrifices of animals or perceived sacrifices of, of things that we give up or give to the Lord in order, for us to, in order for him to forgive us. No, in Christ Jesus, we have been forgiven. And so we live in light of that. The ceremony laws in the Old Testament, we look and we say, wow, God, your demand for perfection the meticulousness of how you want the temple to be built, how to make sacrifices to be made, this shows your character. And then in Christ Jesus, you showed us your mercy, fulfilled that law. And today we look at the, the civil law that we see in Deuteronomy and in the Old Testament as well. You see, the nation of Israel was actually called out amongst the nations. And Israel was supposed to be a nation set apart. And the nation of Israel was God, where, where God's holy presence resided. But this nation of Israel was not simply a religious organization. It was also a political entity as well. A political entity that, that fought with other nations. A political entity that, that needed a, a, a political solutions to how to deal with the people in their borders a political entity that needed to organize itself in terms of government in, in order to how to rule the, the people around them. And in this passage here, we see that God had ordered them or said to them, listen, eventually you're going to want a king. And it sets up the stipulation of what a king should look like. This king should be someone who is of the nation of Israel. This king is someone who, who should not be uh, greedy for, for possessions. This king should be someone who has the book of the law and reads it. This king is someone who is not simply a political king, but this king is someone who religiously understands the law of Moses and is, and is the pinnacle of someone who loves the Lord and submits to the Lord. And so we see in the Old Testament that the kingdom of God and the nation of Israel, they're one. They're one and the same. And we continue to read, if you continue to read on Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, you'll see all these other stipulations of, of judges, all these other stipulations of how to organize the nation together. And you read it and you're like, okay, this, this is a government. This is how they should function. This is how they should work. Now we know that in today's society, and this is very important for us because we, we see here in the United States of America that there's a confusion today of what it means to be the kingdom of God, of what it means to be a religious organization, and what it means to have a political entity that we live that we live in. And in order for us to understand as Christians of, of how to live in our society today, we have to understand whether here in Deuteronomy or here in the Old Testament, 
that what is fixed here applies to us today. So the question is this. We know that in the Old Testament with Israel, they are a political entity with political powers. They are people who received ambassadors from other nations. They are people who sent out other ambassadors as well. And so the question is, 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 that, is, that, is that still applicable for us today? Is the church a political entity? Is the church a place where politics should be talked about? Is the church someone who should wield power as they did in the Old Testament? Now, here in this passage, we have this wonderful description of what a king should look like. And it's really interesting when you read through the Old Testament because when you read here in Deuteronomy, you're like, I guess Israel's supposed to have a king. They're supposed to have a king. But we, when we look, when we keep reading the Old Testament, you start to see that later on in, in Joshua and in Judges, that God says, you're not to have a king. It's like, wait, which one is it, God? Are we supposed to have a king or are not supposed to have a king? Because later on it says that, listen, you are not to have a king. I'm going to set judges over you. I will be your king. You will not be like the other nations who have a person as a king, but I will be your king. And yet here in Deuteronomy, it sets up this understanding that there will be a king one day. Okay. So is what do we do? Is, is this a confusion between the two? Is it perhaps, as some scholars would like to say, that later on in, in, in Israel's history, when they were in exile, that someone sort of wrote this back in Deuteronomy, just in order to, in order to show the people that day that God wanted a king? To sort of prop up their, uh, their right to kingship? I think it's very interesting. But my reading of what I see here in Deuteronomy, when I see later on in Deuteronomistic history, in Joshua, Judges, and later on the whole scope of Scripture, is that this is true. God did want to set up a king. God did want a king over his nation. That God's demand for what this king looked like, these requirements here are meant for the nation of Israel. But God understood something else as well. The reason why he did not set up a king and decided not to set up a king was it because he understood that no one could fulfill these qualifications. And that's why I said there's not going to be a king yet. But the nations clamored. The people of Israel clamored. And eventually we, we, we got the king. We got King Saul. We got King David and so forth and so forth. But we understand through scripture that none of those kings were able to fulfill what God wanted them to be. 
They chased after riches. They had many wives, Solomon. And they failed. The solution to what, what God was trying to, to, to do here in Deuteronomy 17 was to show to us as God's people that we needed that perfect king. Someone who was humble enough to not want riches, to, to get rid of all wealth. We needed someone who was pure in heart. We needed someone who kept the law of God in him, who could be that king and rule faithfully and lovingly and justly. And the solution to that has always been Christ Jesus himself. The king that, that we worship and the king that Israel was waiting for was Jesus himself, fully human and fully divine. He's the only one who, who's able to fulfill these requirements of being a king. And as a king, he rules justly and mercifully. But something happened once Jesus became king. Something happened in, in, in the course of, 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 of political roles in the church and political roles in scripture. Once Jesus became king, the kingdom of God took on both a broader sense and a narrow sense. The broader sense being that with Jesus as king, that all things in the heavens and earth were now under his reign. That one day every knee shall bow, right? Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That there's a recognition that all things were made through him and for him. And so in a cosmic sense, we understand he is king of all and reigns over all. But there's also a narrow sense that we understand the kingship of God. And this is where things have changed in the New Testament. This is how the kingdom has been redefined in a sense. Jesus says this, and scripture says this, no longer am I here to make a political nation. Jesus does not set himself up as the king of Israel. Jesus comes to set him up as the head of the church. He says in Ephesians, listen, Ephesians, that listen, the, the church shall be built upon the foundation of, of Christ. With Jesus, sorry, on, on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That Jesus is the head of the church, or the head of the body. And for us to understand what, what happened in, in the New Testament is that no longer is Jesus the head of a political entity, but that Jesus becomes the head of simply the church. And within the church, the role of the church is to do what? Show mercy. Share the good news of Christ. Bring people to faith. Show the kingdom of God present here today in the life of the people. 
And one of the major things that we see that's a very huge distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament is capital punishment. If we read in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, we see that Israel has, has given the authority to punish people by death. Now that's lawful. But we see in Romans chapter 13 that that's changed completely. That the only entity that now has authority of capital punishment is the, is the political body. It's not the church. <laughs> to the chagrin of some pastors. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, man, everyone's tired. <laughs> <coughs> and so the church and the, and, and the political system has been separated. And so what happens now is that all of the rule and the government of the nation of Israel has transformed or changed in simply the rule and government of the church. And they have come out of the political sphere. And this is why Jesus says, you know, in terms of taxes, you, you give money to the nation you live in. Where in Israel, who'd you give your money to? Israel. When, when, when Peter says in 1 Peter, you know, you need to submit to the government, or Paul in Romans 13, you need to submit to the authorities. Well, the authority is the government. Whereas in the Old Testament, the authority was what? Simply a nation of Israel. And so all of a sudden, the kingdom has been redefined. The church and the political systems are to be separate. And we, as the church, serve Jesus as king. But under his kingship, we submit to the authorities of whatever nation that we belong to. Now, this is important. Because we live in a day and time here in the States where there's a confusion about political systems in the church. We see churches taking political positions, whether it's one side or another, taking a stance and saying that we as a church believe politically that we should be left-leaning, or we as a church politically believe that we should be right-leaning, that, that we as a church need to take these political stances by endorsing one candidate over another candidate. And what we find in Scripture is that we're supposed to be apart from the political system. Our duty as God's people is to promote the gospel by loving people and sharing the good news of Christ. You see, we as God's people, we understand that our, our, our citizenship is not in the political system, but our citizenship is in heaven. That we know that ultimately in this world that the political systems cannot solve sin cannot solve the basic problems of humanity. And so we do not put our hope in government. We do not put our hope in their solutions. However, one thing that's interesting is, you know, you probably heard me talk about this a lot. And this definitely applies to people who are very much involved in the political in, in the political system here in the in the states. And 
to be honest, that's mostly those who are non-Asian, you know, who are really involved in that. What this does not mean is that does not mean that we as a church or even as Asian people here, that does not mean that we can simply say, oh, I guess we're doing well because none of us here really like politics. We like to simply just be on our own and do our own thing. But that in itself would be wrong as well. Because what does it mean to submit to authority? What does it mean to pay your taxes? What does it mean to be under the government. It means that we who are under it, I believe, need also to be active. I don't mean that you should go join a party. I don't mean that you need to be uh, on, on your soapbox. But what I do mean is that you have to be involved in the communities that you are. And part of being the communities that you are, there will always be a political aspect of it. If you own a home, you're going to have an HOA. You've got to vote. You've got to figure out what's good for your HOA. If you live in a, in, in a town, you look, live in one of these, these smaller towns and, and there's a vote about zoning laws or, or about um, yeah, zoning laws or school redistricting, or, or it, you, you've, you've got to get involved. You've got to make your voice heard. If you're a student, And people are talking about issues. You need to have a voice to get involved. But this is how things change for us as Christians, though. Is that those who put their hope in the political system and have nothing else besides that, they live and die with their political leanings. We as Christians, though, we don't live or die by them at all. We know that whatever solution, whatever policy may come, that we know that's always going to be imperfect. That we know that no matter how good the intentions are, we, we understand unintended, unintentional consequences, unintended consequences. That our role as people is that when we get involved in the system is we, we vote, we compromise, and we go, it's okay. Let's just do our best. Because in the end, only Christ will be able to heal and fix all things. For us, there's a humility in getting involved in people's lives. There's a humility to getting involved in political systems. Because it's not our salvation. This is the beauty of us as Christians having the church separated from government. Right? If church isn't separated from government, then your whole life is going to be about the government process and the political process. But having it separated means what? You can love this world knowing that in the end, well, the only thing that will matter is is Christ's reign. And if things don't work for out for you in the political system, it's okay. Because we know that Christ is the one who will make things right. Secondly, for us as Christians, having this separation, it allows us to simply love people. 
you know, when I was um, in university uh, way back in the day, we, we started this, um, our area started this thing called uh, Philadelphia Urban Project. And they would go down to Philly and just, I went down one, I went there one year and we just, you know, you, you, you gut buildings and you, you help those who are just less fortunate, you know, struggling people. And it was, it was good. But I remember um, that we, they would always bring in speakers, and these speakers were always um, um, people who had a very a certain philosophy, a certain um, philosophy, a certain political leaning, and they would talk to us about all these political solutions. And I remember that it would just sort of start pitting people against one another, Christians against one another, and it started to to make people look at these poor people, not as people in the image of God who needed love, but people who are just part of a political machine that simply needed certain policies to be fixed. It almost dehumanized them. Um, the, the best analogy I can give is, uh, is in baseball. Now, if you guys follow baseball, everything's analytics. Everything is, is numbers. And these baseball players, they don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't feel like people anymore. They're just numbers. You, know, you just put numbers, it's like, they're just numbers, that's, the, that's all they are. And for us as Christians, you know, we understand the political system, and we understand that some of us will have certain ideas of how to help the poor, help the struggling. But when we go as a church and we see people, our mindset should never be, what is the political solution? What are some ways that we can, we can help them in changing policy? But our primary mindset is always, here's someone made in God's image. Whatever the political system may be, they need mercy, they need love, they need Christ. And that whatever system that you believe in, that we can put that aside and simply love the people who are there. That's the beauty of having the separation of church and state. That's the beauty of knowing that Christ is just simply the head of the church. That's the beauty of knowing that we can have a prophetic voice in this world apart from the politicians, apart from the kings, that we can make an impact where Christ is seen and Christ reigns. And so for us, when we look at the laws in Deuteronomy, and we, we see anything that has to do with government, anything that has to do with capital punishment, anything that has to do with, with taxes and, and things of that nature, we, we take that and we go, you know what? That's all been fulfilled in Christ, and the new government now is simply the church that he loves. We've taken away the political aspect of it, and we simply submit to the authorities, and we're, we, engage, we engage in society the way it is. But our identity is not in any of those things. But our identity is in Christ himself. But we also understand that Christ is the king. And we also understand that when the Jesus comes back, that his kingship will be that final government. His kingship will finally 
end all governments. And that the church, which is once a local body within the political spectrum of this world, will one day simply be the kingdom of God as a whole, with Christ ruling all things. And so the political solution in the end is simply Christ's return and his loving rule over all peoples. You know, whatever you think of Donald Trump, now, he does have one thing right. People want a king. He jokes around about the fact of, you know, one day, maybe like Russia, you know, we'll just have a, a, a president who will be president for life. You listen to the way Trump speaks and what he sort of gets away with in terms of flouting the federal laws and, and nothing's happening. And you go, my, what's wrong with our society? Why can't they see that this is, you know, against our Constitution? The reason is, is that we want a king. We want someone who can rule over all things. We want someone who knows what they're doing all the time. We want to submit to someone or something. Now, you may think, the people out there may be crazy, or you might be one of those people saying it's not crazy. But we all want someone to rule over us. And that's why Jesus is king. That he is the only king that could fulfill that in us. You see, Deuteronomy chapter 17 shows us that Jesus is that king. That he does rule over us with kindness and gentleness and mercy. And that we can submit to him fully knowing he will not take advantage of us but always give us what we need to worship him, to be satisfied in so, brothers and sisters, what is the ultimate purpose of the civil laws? It's for you to know that you need someone to worship and someone to submit to. God's appointment of Jesus as king shows you that he's the only one who can fulfill that role in you. Let's pray.